Welcome to the City Podcast, a ministry of Ambassadors Church in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website at wearethecity.org. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you are blessed by today's word. Did you enjoyed No Invisible People Part 1. Did you enjoy that last Sunday? Come on, can we give God praise for his word last Sunday? And, and this is a brand new series of sermons that we're going through here at Ambassadors Church. And, and I said this last week, is that some sermons are intended to exhort or encourage. Uh, some are intended to be a call for action. Uh, others are intended to convict and cause life change. Uh, still other sermons are, you know, motivational sermons to get us going and to make you make power moves. Uh, but this is a sermon series that the Lord uh, laid on my heart and gave me some revelation about that is designed to shape the culture of who we are as a church. Now, I, I believe that God's word is living and active and that there's no better uh, resource that we can use to shape church culture than the word of God itself. And, and so this, uh, this series is stemming from an idea that in the kingdom of God, there is no such thing as an invisible person, that there are no invisible people, that, that God sees us, that God knows us by name, and that there is no person who should walk into the doors of this sanctuary or even into our sphere of influence that would be ignored, but that God's salvation, the free gift of salvation, is for every single breathing person on the face of planet Earth. If you believe that with me, can you say amen? So there are no invisible people, and what we're doing is we are laying the foundation or the framework for the next 5 to 10 to 15 years, the next generation of ministry, where we are saying that in this place, in this house, there will be no invisible people. That we are, if we claim to say welcome home and we, are, we claim to be a, a church that is all about the value of family, then we believe that you know when somebody from your family is not at the table. If you've ever had a meal around a table and, and there's one person missing, the, the dynamic of the table is different unless everybody is there. And then other people are thinking, well, if they're not there, it's a better thing. But no, but we're, we're, we're wanting, we're wanting everybody at the table. And so last Sunday, I spoke about the poor widow who gave two small copper coins. And, and, and on the contrast of that story, on the opposite end, we see the, the rich scribes bringing in uh, their, their big offerings that made a lot of noise when they dropped it into the offering bucket. And, and, and the question is not how much did she give? And then the question for us is not how much will we give? Because I don't think it's about how much we can give. It's about how much he gave. Come on, somebody, that's a sermon for another day. But I don't want to use that scripture as a motivation for, for us to give any more dollars. Because I don't think, you know what, God, owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That's the Bible way of saying that God doesn't need your money. Uh, we, we get to give. We don't have to. Give. We get to give. That's another sermon for another. I'm just dropping bombs this morning. Come on, somebody. But, but the question was, why did she only have two copper coins in the middle of a, of a temple, in the middle of a church that was giving these lofty offerings? And, and, and so this morning, I want to look at another individual. And over the next three weeks, we're going to continue to do the same thing just looking at people that were invisible for whatever reason and how they had a big impact, whether in the Bible or also for us today. So if you have your Bibles with you, could you open up your scripture to the book of Mark chapter 7? Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. 
30. If you are there, say, I'm there. Mark chapter 7. How many of y'all are loving the sunny weather this morning? Oh, man, so good, right? But it's a little chilly out there. Are we comfortable in here? Yeah? We're comfortable? Cool. Mark chapter 7, 24 through 30. And says, from there, he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit, another version says a demonic spirit, heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now, the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician woman by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for what you have said, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demonic spirit was gone. The word of the Lord. Let's pray this morning. God, we open up ourselves, our hearts to the, not only the reading of your word, but now the explanation of your word. Father, I ask that you would now equip me a very imperfect vessel uh, to communicate, Father, a perfect truth that there are no invisible people in the kingdom of God. Father, I pray that you would awaken us and alert us to what you would want to say to us, God. I pray that we would not let this moment pass us by. But Lord, I pray that we would soak in your truth. We ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. amen. If we were to look at our Bible and kind of look at the different kinds of invisible people that exist uh, throughout the Bible, they would fall into basically three categories. First, it would be those that are nameless. So as you read scripture, it would be like, and there was a woman or there was a man, and it kind of just tells you the story without ever telling you the name. And I always like to think that those nameless stories are intentional because it allows us a unique opportunity to insert our name into the story and see if it still applies. And so there are those that are nameless throughout scripture. Number two, the second category of invisible individuals are the those who are named but they are kind of forgotten in the midst of the chaos of the story. And so there are small uh, little uh, names throughout the Old Testament that, and through the New Testament as well, that are there, that they are named individuals, but for whatever reason, there are kind of bigger individuals throughout the story that are remembered. And so, you know, between like Abraham and Lot, Lot doesn't get as a lot of attention as Abraham, uh, like people like Jabez of the Old Testament, powerful story, not really remembered as much. My boy Ruel, Ruel's a, a, a biblical name, like uh, it's a it's an Old Testament name, and and I pray prophetically that he will not be an invisible individual in our generation in Jesus' name. <laughs> What I appreciate about this family right here in the front row is that they are raising their son literally on the front row of God's house. And, 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 and I believe that the truth of the Lord's word is just being imprinted on his heart. Uh, but Ruel is a biblical name. There are these names throughout the scriptures that are kind of, they're almost like those names that we kind of glance over. But when we go to unpack it deeper, there is so much truth and so much value. But then third, there is this category of individual people where they are identified by where they are from. 
And so uh, you will see it kind of labeled throughout the Bible as a, a man from the land of whatever, a woman from whatever. And the scripture that we're reading this morning, the title on, on this passage of scripture is the Syrophoenician's woman's faith. Syrophoenician, I mean, that is the most like crazy word ever. Syrophoenician woman's faith. Let me just explain the, the importance, the significance of this is that if you were to try to make up a story to validate the ministry of Christ, if you're going to write a book like Mark did about, you know, the ministry of Jesus, and you're trying to prove that it's true, you would not pick the testimony or the story of a Syrophoenician woman. You would pick the faith of maybe a Jewish man or at least a Jewish woman. But here we see the unpacking of a story of the Syrophoenician Woman, the Syrophoenician woman's faith. Let me just tell you straight up, Syrophoenician women did not have the best of reputations. This woman was completely judged and summed up and defined by the place that she came from. This is a human problem where we define people by where they came from. So you see, as soon as you read the heading, the Syrophoenician woman's faith, this is this is way more than just being like, oh, a woman from Cranston. No, this is not just a woman from Cranston, a woman from CF, a woman from Pawtucket. No, Syrophoenician women, like this is the area of Tyre and Sidon. This is the land of Jezebel. Have you ever heard of the spirit of Jezebel? Not a good thing, right? This is that kind of a woman. This is a, a land, an area known for idolatry, Baal worship. This is kind of a, a heavy, have you ever been in like a spiritually heavy place? This is like a woman from that spiritually heavy place. This is like, this is pagan. This is idolatrous. This is like spirit of Jezebel kind of stuff. And Jesus takes a little break from his ministry and goes off to this land 50 miles away to the area of Tyre and Sidon. And it says that he went there to rest, but I think he went there to have an encounter. It's incredible how Jesus will go 50 miles out of his way to meet one person. That many others would kind of label and identify as not worthy of the gospel message or not worthy of the Messiah's attention, not worthy certainly of speaking or conversing or dialoguing with any Jews, but Jesus will go 50 miles out of the way. And I would even take it further. Jesus will go so far as to reach a person like you and me. Can we get an amen? And so there's this Syrophoenician woman and, and, and she is identified, defined, characterized and, and, and kind of, if you were to sum her up, she would be uh, defined by where she came from and she would be defined by the, the reputation of her people. Have you ever had people mischaracterize you because of where you came from? Can we talk a little bit about the evil of racism here, where, where racism really is, is just the, an assumption that is made or a mischaracterization that is made or a prejudice that is, that is, that is perpetuated because of a, usually it's, it, well, not usually, racism is always ignorance. Not usually. Racism is always ignorance. But the saddest of ignorance is willful ignorance, where you want to remain ignorant. Can we go heavy this morning? I need you to help me preach it. The, the Syrophoenician, how many people have we written off because of where they came from? Don't say amen. 
Say, Lord, say mercy. How many people have we falsely summed up because we don't know their story? Where we kind of jump to conclusions. Why? Let me just take it even a step deeper. Lord, speak to your church. There, There are moments where we will judge someone's behavior without knowing the backstory. Why are they the way that they are? Instead of just saying, all Syrophoenician people are Baal-worshipping, Jezebel spirit people. Let's take them, because behind every face there's a name, and behind every name there's a story. Church, can we just agree here this morning, spiritually and practically, that we will not be a family, we will not be a house, we will not be a place that makes assumptions without knowing the truth. Where we're not going to sum somebody up and write them off before we've even had a, people will write other people off without even having a conversation with that person. You've already summed them up, defriended them, blocked them, never even exchanged a DM with them. People are the way they are for a reason. Why are they always so angry? Why are they always so, why are you always so absent from their life? Why don't you ask the question? Why don't you approach? And I'm sure this Syrophoenician woman in any exchange that she ever had with any Jews had already been written off. But there is a woman in this story who was desperate. And there's a, there's a nuance here in this scripture that I want to lay out for you is that she had heard what Jesus was doing. And so she boldly approached Christ. She heard, and so she acted. You see, a lot of people are wondering maybe, well, why haven't they, why aren't they a believer? Why aren't they, why aren't they coming to church? For many of us, no, in practically every situation, they can't act unless they hear. And they can't hear unless you speak. And so the question is not so much on them. The question is on you. What are we doing to bring that person to Christ? This woman heard and then approached. You can't approach without hearing. And you can't hear without someone saying. And you can't say unless you go and have a conversation. You see, discipleship does not take place from a platform. Discipleship takes place in your sphere of influence where you spot the people that need to hear and you tell them what Jesus has done. You see, our job is not to convince people of the sovereignty, the lordship, the theology of Jesus Christ, the doctrine of the Trinity, how the Father, Son. It's not our job to do that. Our job is to plant the seed of what Jesus Christ has done in our life. I'm telling you, when you are faithful to plant the seed, God is faithful to water it, and God will make the harvest grow. And so it's not our job to try to convert or recruit, because this ain't no, I mean, it's the army of Christ, I get it. No, we, we, are, we are simply being a faithful witness to what Jesus has done. You will never know the power of your testimony unless you share it. The power of your story 
What I love is that people were talking about what Jesus had done. And so this woman knew that even though I should not go before Christ, I will because I have heard what he is capable of doing. How many people in our life haven't met Jesus because we haven't spoke up about what Christ did for us? We're too busy conversing and dialoguing about other things that have no eternal importance and getting so caught up in arguments that are what, what the scripture calls petty arguments or arguments that go nowhere and lead nowhere. Meanwhile, we are allowing people in our life, in our sphere of influence to go throughout their days without hearing the truth of what Jesus Christ has done for our life. If your faith is important to you, your faith will be something that you talk about. That which you converse about shows that which you value. That which you share shows that which you value. Jesus said it best, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Let's take the words of Jesus Christ a little bit deeper and say, where your treasure is, there your heart is also, there your, your, your mouth will follow. Your mouth is going to follow you where your treasure is and where your heart is. And so our testimony is what will trigger action from those who don't have Jesus. So this woman heard and then acted. You see, Jews and Gentiles, this woman's a Gentile, right? Baal-worshipping, Jezebel-spirit kind of woman. And these two kinds of people do not interact. These two people do not go into the same room. I mean, Jews thought of Gentiles as so unclean that even if we were in the same room, I am made unclean by a Gentile. It was that bad. And, and so th- there's this thing going on where, where she has a daughter who has a demonic spirit. You see, even those who don't have Christ have discernment. And the Syrophoenician woman had heard about what Jesus Christ had had been doing throughout his land. And so Jesus Christ was on her turf, Gentile territory. And so she desperately approaches Jesus asking for mercy and asking that he liberate her daughter. Never get in the way of a desperate mother. See a mom who's desperate, she'll do anything. Right. One time, my mom, my mom's right here in the front row. We were doing a construction job in my house. Sheetrock is pretty heavy, right? A sheetrock sheet is pretty heavy. And uh, and and we had a sheetrock sheet up against this door that we weren't supposed to go into. So me being curious, nosy, don't let anything happen without me knowing chain. Went up to that door. I was probably about, I don't know, 10, 9 small kid, and I was, you know, smaller than most kids, and I went up to that door, just kind of peek around the sheetrock to see what was happening behind the sheetrock. Curiosity kills the cat, and the sheetrock just came tumbling on top of me. I was under the sheetrock, couldn't get up. I was trapped, pinned under the sheetrock, and I just yelled out. My mom comes with a fury Literally, sheetrock over her head. Do you remember this? And you know my mom. My mom is like me, zero or 100. So, right, where it was, those are the two settings we have. She was 110 that day. Don't get in the way of a desperate mother. Come on, if you love your mama, say amen. amen. And, and so this woman is desperate. Amen. She doesn't care. This, this, this mom... This mom doesn't care if she shouldn't approach Jesus. If the law said she shouldn't approach Jesus, she knew that Jesus had what she needed. So she goes up to him and 
I just picture this scene of desperation between clean, unclean, holy, unholy. This woman summed up by where she had come from, maybe misunderstood by the masses. She approaches Jesus and says, have mercy on my daughter. She has a demonic spirit and I need you to free her. And then comes one of the most tense exchanges of all the New Testament where Jesus says, how can you take the bread of the children and give it to the dogs? And every time I read over that, I'm like, let's just skip over that and head on over to something lighter. This is a slur. 2018 response to Jesus would be, Jesus, you're misogynistic. You are against, you're anti-women. Jesus, how could you possibly be a God of grace and use this slur against this woman? How could you possibly position yourself as this self-righteous individual and call, why would you call this woman a dog? So I started reading that scripture. I'm like, this makes no sense. If there are no invisible people, we're not going to start calling the invisible people dogs. But then you unpack it a little bit further and not all dogs are the same kind of dog. Let me, let me. Let me tell you this story. Let me tell you, let me, because let me, I had to do my homework for this, like a little bit deeper than, than typically, where in the, in the original, Jews called Gentiles, like, what, what's the word? I want to I get this straight. Kuan. Kuans. Kuans are not cute dogs. Kuans are street, trash-eating, rabies-infested, Filthy dogs, like the rats of the street kind of dogs. Where if you, if you ever been to Cape Verde, <laughs> if you don't like dogs, don't go to Cape Verde. Dogs everywhere. Dogs on roofs. Literally, dogs on roofs. For what? What are you guarding? Dogs on roofs. But there's dogs like with just like three legs. There's dogs with two legs. There's dogs rotting off the side, but they're still fine. There's dogs literally eating plastic, trash, everything. That's why in America, I'm like, why are dogs needing to be so pampered? Dogs have health insurance in this country. I don't get it. Dogs have health insurance in this nation. Wow. But kuans, kuans are trash-eating, rabies-infested dogs. This is what Jews would typically call Gentiles, kuans. You are a rabies-infested, trash-eating dog. Now, did Jesus call this desperate woman in need of grace and mercy, a kuan? No. The, the word used here is kunarion. And you're like, that's the same thing. <laughs> Kunarion's a puppy, a house pet. Both are dogs. Only one is let into the house. So this was not a slur being used to degrade this woman. This was a reference that she understood about the relationship between Jews and Gentiles, 
But this was also a reference that was allowing her the mental capacity to understand that there was a change in status from her being seen as somebody that was just a street, trash-eating, rabies-infested dog to now someone who was allowed into the house. You see, in Christ, the trash-eating, rabies-infested dogs are now allowed into the house, and then after the crucifixion, the puppies become the children at the table. Does this make sense to you? You see, Jesus was not degrading this woman. Jesus was not using a slur against this woman. Jesus was referencing a relationship between clean and unclean and saying, I know that maybe in the eyes of the Jews and according to the law of the Jews, the Gentiles are out on the street. You are rabies infested, trash eating dirt. But through what I'm about to do, you have now been allowed access into the home. But the time has not yet come because he had not yet died. And so he says, should I take the, cho- the, the food that's meant for the Jews, the children, and give it to the dogs? Now these dogs are allowed into the house. And she, with this boldness, this wit, this audacity, responds to Jesus and says, yes, but even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall from the table. She said, since you've allowed me into the house, can I not at least get a crumb from this table that you're serving at? And he responds her with the most resounding words that I want to echo to you this morning. Because of what you have said, your daughter will be freed. You see, when we talk about the power of life and death is in the tongue, we mean it literally. Because if this woman had simply taken Jesus's statement and said, you know what? You're right. But will you survive the test of resistance? You see, there was a resistance to what she knew she had access to in Christ, where he was almost testing her. He was giving her a reference. He was He was explaining this new relationship, but it was also a test of resistance. Do we push through that test of resistance in in, in greater faith? And she said, she spoke a word of faith that unlocked a miracle for her. Now, now look, I'm not, uh, you need to give $10,000 this morning and you are going to receive a million tomorrow in the mail. I don't believe that stuff. What I do believe in is when we put profess with our lips a faith in who Jesus is, I believe it unlocks not only the move of heaven, but it unlocks the move of the spirit in us and gives us access to this miracle that would not have taken place if we had not professed it with our mouth. Because of what you have said, your daughter will be freed. There is power in what you say and there is power in what you are not saying. Maybe we are not seeing the move of God in our life because we are not speaking in faith. Speaking in faith, believing God can do the impossible. What I love is that this woman was met by resistance and maybe she could have been easily offended and to ask, well, who are you calling a puppy? Who are you? I'm a one. And, and this, is not, this is not that kind of a feminist argument that they're trying to engage in. This is a moment where Jesus is saying, look, you are still unclean. 
But the woman knew, I don't care if I'm unclean. I know that you can make me clean. I know that you can free my daughter. I need the church to rise up and get that warrior spirit that will make demands on heaven based upon what heaven has promised to us. And this woman says, well, even the dogs, even the puppies, even the house pets get to eat the crumbs. So can I not at least get a crumb? And Jesus sends her on her way. And it says that when that woman got back to her house, her daughter had been already freed from this demonic spirit. Isn't it crazy that Jesus doesn't even have to be in the room in order for Jesus' power to be made manifested? And that's what we call the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power of God, the power of Jesus that transcends time and space and reaches wherever. That's why we can pray for our family back in our homeland and know that even in the same instant that I declare a word here, God's power can be made manifest over there. God is not bound by walls, temples. He's not built. He's not just contained to, to places built by stone and mortar. No, God's power transcends all of that. And, and, and I know that in the moment that she uttered those words and Jesus affirmed her faith affirmed her word that that girl was set free. Church, when we zoom back out to a 30,000 foot view of this story, what we see is a holy man having a conversation with an invisible woman. A woman who was not even worthy of being in the same room as a Jew. A woman who was not worthy of this miracle and a woman who actually was a rabies infested street trash eating dog. But lest you say that's offensive, let me just remind you that that's all of us. That we are those people unworthy of relationship. That we are the street dog, the the one without hope, the one who who had no access to anything that God has, the, the dogs of creation. We are those ones who had no way into the house. But then Jesus comes along and goes 50 miles out of his way to meet one Syrophoenician woman. And I would go even further and say that Jesus not only traversed 50 miles to get to her, Jesus came from heaven to earth to get to you. And if you think you're worthy of it, think again. If you think that all of your righteous acts put together would even get you a second in the presence of God, think again. It's not about what you can do. How much you can give on a Sunday morning. That doesn't buy us points. That doesn't get us extra credit. That doesn't give us access. Take all of the good deeds you ever did. Take all of the mission trips. Take all of the stuff you've done. Take all of the stuff you've given. Take all of your good acts of service and it's still filthy rags in the presence of a holy God. Take all of our services and all of our songs and all of our sermons and that does not give us access. Take all of the altar calls and all the retreats and all the conferences and all the events and God is not impressed by any of it. What impressed God was what Jesus did for you. Take all of it. Take the lights. Take all of it down. None of it impresses God or makes him say, yeah, I'm going to go there and be there a little bit more. No. What gives us access is his son, Jesus. And it's always going to be him. 
It was always him. It will always be him. I have no other sermon to preach to you. It is Jesus. Always Jesus. Forever Jesus. Eternally Jesus. God, in through Christ, has given me a way to be the street trash-eating dog to get into the house, and now I get to sit at the table. I don't care where you come from, what your race is, what language you speak, how much money you make, how many diplomas you have on the wall, what you drive, or, or what's in your bank account this very moment. None of it will buy you any credit to get closer to God. Married, single, dating, engaged, it does not matter. All of these human achievements don't get us closer. The only thing that did, does, and always will work is the cross of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ. The name of Jesus Christ. He is forever it. He is the only solution. He is the only doorway to God. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the way I get to the Father. He is the way I am forgiven. He is the way I live on purpose. He is the reason I get up in the morning. He's the reason why I stand up here and tell you the gospel with every fiber of my being and every strength in my bones. It's Jesus. Always Jesus. Forever Jesus. Only Jesus. Eternally Jesus. It's all about him. It's all about him. So how can we possibly show up at church and walk by or ignore or not notice every single person? If Jesus would go from heaven to earth to get to me, surely you can cross an aisle to get to them. Surely you can cross your street to get to them. Surely you can go to the next desk at your job to get to them. If Jesus would cross time and space to get to me, surely our church can exist to reach the lost people in our very city, in our very time. Worship team, could I have you for a moment?